Gospels and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We are continuing our eight-week look at the book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have pew Bibles uh, for you to use, and you can turn to actually to page 1200. Very easy to find, almost toward the very end of the Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week, we, we introduced you to why the book was written, who wrote the book. Peter was the author of the book of 1 Peter. And this is part of Jesus' inner triangle. The, the three humans that were closest to Jesus during his earthly ministry were his disciples, Peter, James, and John. This is that Peter. But it's about three decades, 30, 35 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter has become a world-renowned leader of the faith. And there has been an incredible shift that has taken place leading up to the writing of this book. And he would follow up with a second letter, a second epistle. We know a second Peter. The persecution of Christ followers has become a commonplace. For the first couple decades of Christianity, uh, Rome was kind of oblivious to Christianity for the most part. There's some exceptions along the way. But for the most part, Paul and Barnabas and even Peter, they were able to travel, they were able to preach, they were able to plant churches, they went on their missionary journeys. But right about this time that this letter is written, maybe a couple years leading up to it, there is a severe persecution of Christians that has begun, and it's only going to get worse. And many people that are following after Jesus Christ are wondering, is it worth it? Is being a Christian worth it? And so Peter writes this letter to encourage first century Christ followers to stand firm in the midst of suffering and to live a life of holiness. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about holiness. I think this book connects with us in 2014 in so many ways. One trend that I see developing that breaks my heart is I see more and more people making the decision to walk away from the faith. They grew up in the church, maybe they went to the youth group, maybe they went to Agape Land, maybe they went to Sunday school. They were active in the church. And for whatever reason, whatever the context, there's probably a variety of reasons they are saying, that's no longer relevant for me. Being a Christian is no longer a big deal. And maybe they're just kind of oblivious to the faith. It's just kind of there. Some are saying, I, I reject the faith. I no longer embrace the faith. So I think what Peter is teaching first century Christians, he's teaching us today as well. And maybe you have someone in your life that you know that is really wrestling with, does, does it matter if I'm a Christian or not? Is being a follower of Jesus Christ a big deal or not? Will you start praying for that person right now? And as we journey through this book of 1 Peter together, Make notes, maybe make mental notes, maybe make literal notes uh, of a verse, of a phrase, of an illustration, of something along the way that could help you convince people that being a follower of Jesus Christ is the most important decision a person can make. I believe that with all my heart. I hope you believe that with all your heart. So let's dive in. Last week, we just looked at the first seven verses of First Peter chapter 1. The introduction to the book. And the big idea, the big takeaway was this. Praise God for our gift of a living hope. 
Peter says, for centuries, God's people longed for hope. And it was always down the road. It was always the light at the end of the tunnel. And Peter tells us that when Jesus came and he ministered and he died and he rose again, the hope was realized. It's a living hope. It's a new birth. We revel in this gift of salvation. And so this week, week two, is because of this gift of salvation, because of this new birth, because of this living hope, be holy. Live lives of holiness. And I know right there some of you are thinking, well, hold on, hold on. Holiness, is that really something we want to strive for in 2014? When we think of holiness, we think of something that's way out there that we really can't grab a hold of. We think of the most spiritual people that we know, and maybe they're holy, but can we be holy? Living in America in 2014? Well, let's try to figure that out together this morning as we look at God's word. 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 13. Peter writes these words. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Right now, you can do this by yourself. You can have a little group discussion if you want to, if you're sitting by someone that you like to talk to and you want to talk to. Right now, what does it mean to be holy? I'm giving you 30 seconds. Write something down. What's it mean to be holy? Go. I don't hear any talking. Talk. What's it mean to be holy? Mark, do we have the Jeopardy music? Can we play the Jeopardy music while this is going? Probably not. Okay. What does it mean to be holy? Holy. Anyone got a good answer? I'll take an answer this morning. To be like Jesus, that's a great answer. The word holy means to be distinctive, to be pure, to be sacred. It means belonging to God. When you say you want to be holy, you're saying, I want to be more and more like Jesus. I want to be more and more like God. Elwell's Theological Dictionary of Theology, that's a mouthful right there, says that the term holiness could be defined like this, the religious term par excellence. And Spurgeon wrote that holiness is the architectural plan upon which God builds up his living temple. And yet, for so many of us, when we think of holiness, we think of it in a negative light, with a negative slant. Holy people do not, and then you fill in the blank. You just think of a behavior. You think of something that is maybe the opposite of holiness. I don't want this sermon to come off as a bunch of things you should not do. I want you to embrace the idea that I want to be more and more like Jesus. I want my life to look more and more like Jesus. We we won't make it. Jesus was perfect in every way, and you are not, and I am not. But I want this to be a, a message that inspires all of us to look at our life, to do an honest assessment, and try to figure out what could I change? What could I stop doing? What could I start doing that would make my life look a little bit more like Jesus. In the Old Testament, if you go back to the Old Testament, holiness involved being separate and it involved obeying. Separation and obedience. And so God's people were called to be very different. 
They were called to behave differently. You've got the covenant of circumcision. That's very different. But they also had the law. And the idea was if you just follow the law, that's what was taught, that was propagated, you are on the path to holiness. And there was some good in that. There was some positive in that. But by the time you get to the New Testament, holiness is really being driven by simply doing religion. And Jesus comes along, and Jesus is a shock to the system, and Jesus says holiness is not just simply doing religion, but it's about being changed. It's about being different. If you go to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus shocks the system. Jesus shocks the first century teachers of the law. He talks about how those who are blessed are not the high and mighty. They're not those that are in ruling power. But those that are blessed are those who are meek and poor in spirit. And those that are very sad, they mourn. Jesus says those are the ones that are blessed. Jesus tells his people that the righteousness that the scribes teach and the Pharisees teach will never get them to heaven. Jesus talks about it's not so much about doing religious things. It's about being changed. It's about being different. And it kind of comes to a head. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. You might want to jump over there real quick. But in Mark chapter 7, we see this, I'm going to call it a battle. I'm going to call it a debate between the Pharisees and Jesus. And in Mark chapter 6, there's been some really awesome things that have happened. Jesus has done some miracles. we got the walking on water, all kinds of cool things. And in Mark chapter 7, John Mark gives us the account of the disciples of Jesus are eating with unclean hands. Now, in the day and the age of influenza, we always know we should wash our hands before we eat, right? I know you're all very good about that. We've got the hand sanitizer out there to help you out. But this is a couple thousand years ago, and they weren't so much worried about catching the flu as they were worried about keeping the law. And Jesus' disciples were not ceremonially clean when they started to eat. And the Pharisees bring that to Jesus' attention. And Mark, even though Mark's gospel is really get to the point If Matthew or Luke might say something in three paragraphs, Mark will typically say it in two paragraphs or even one paragraph. Mark takes all of verses 3 and 4 and 5 to kind of explain the context. What was in the hearts of the Pharisees? What was driving the Pharisees? What were they really worried and upset about? And listen to the words of Jesus. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. He's saying they talk a good game, but their hearts are cold. My Sunday school class, and actually Adam's Sunday school class, we're both going through the Bible DVD that came out on the History Channel in the spring, and we're watching and then we're reading. And there is a scene in the Bible DVD that really, I thought, captivated this concept that we watched, our class watched just last week. It's Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is, um, he is so torn up, he is sweating block, drops of blood, And then you flash to the high priest, and the high priest is praying in the midst of all of his royalty. And his prayer is, God, I know you are so pleased with me. I hope we never embrace that kind of approach when it comes to holiness. Hey, check me out. 
I'm so much better than so-and-so. My life is so much more pure than my neighbor. My language is so much more pure than my coworker. I hope we never buy the idea that religion, doing religion, religious things is what drives the heart of God. Quickly this morning, I want to give you what Peter gives us in 1 Peter chapter 1, the road to holiness. Five things that the road to holiness includes. And number one is this, it involves being prepared. Being prepared. In verse 13, the NIV translates it, prepare your minds for action. If you go King James, and I rarely do, but sometimes I, I, I like the translation, and in verse 13 it says, gird up the loins of your mind. And you're probably saying, what in the world does it mean to gird up your loins? In the first century world, if you were needing to get somewhere very quickly, say you were a soldier and you were getting ready to head into battle and you had to run, or, or, or say you are just a common person and you needed to go from one place to another, you would have to, to, to take your garment and you'd have to hike it up. Ladies, think about that long skirt, hiking that skirt up, girding up your loins so that you'd be ready to go. And Peter says, don't gird up your loins of your physical body, but he says, gird up the loins of your mind. This is an imperative. And what he's saying is, be engaged mentally. Be engaged intellectually. Don't live off somebody else's faith. Do you have your own faith? Do you own your own faith? I think for too long, too many people have had the faith of their preacher or the faith of their parent or the faith of their child. And it's not real for them. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. The challenge is obvious. Move from just being driven by emotion or just being driven by routine, doing religious things and engaging scripturally, engaging intellectually, preparing your minds for action. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we talk a lot about the heart and the soul and the strength. Challenge you this morning to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. The road to holiness also involves being self-controlled, being self-controlled. Verse 13, be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace given you. Self-controlled could literally be translated sober, be sober. And when we think be sober, what what do we think? Abstaining from alcohol or or some sort of a substance to where if I, I have too much of that substance, I'm under the control of that substance and I'm not in control any longer. Last fall, we wrapped up families at first, and I was in a meeting, and, and uh, someone came to the church, and he was obviously under the influence of alcohol. And I mean by under the influence of alcohol, with I sat with him in the library, he pulled out a fifth of vodka and asked me for a drink. And in case you're wondering, I didn't take one, okay? just I, Some of you are looking at me kind of like, I, I've never had that happen. I hope I never have that happen in the church ever again. But that was the encounter. And we prayed, and he got very upset. He was very angry. He was making threats, all, all, just really hot and bothered. And it was the alcohol talking. And I said, when, when you feel better, come see me again. And believe it or not, he came back again. And he said, Pastor, I have to apologize to you. The alcohol was doing the speaking. The alcohol was doing the talking. I I don't even really remember that night. 
Well, it'd be really easy just to make this about not getting drunk, and that's something that I think we could all agree is a good idea for Christ followers to not get drunk. But it's so much more than that. What intoxicant is driving you? Maybe it's a a thought. Maybe it's a passion. Maybe it's a desire that keeps you off the straight and narrow. And what Peter is saying here is be self-controlled. Don't let another substance, don't let another thought, don't let another desire drive you to the point that you make bad decisions. He says, set your hope fully on the grace given you. So I ask you, who controls you? What controls you? What is driving you? Are you spirit-filled? Are you allowing God's word to drive you? Are you so caught up in this world, so caught up in achieving in this world, that that's what drives you? Don't forget what we talked about last week. This world is not my home. This world is not your home. Peter talks about us being strangers in this world. Be self-controlled. Number three, uh, the road to holiness includes being obedient. Peter uses the phrase, as obedient children. And right there, some of you, you're checking me out already. I don't want to talk about obeying rules. You just talked about how obeying rules doesn't get you to heaven. And obeying rules doesn't get you to heaven. It's all about Jesus. I want you to think about the positive aspect of being an obedient child of God. What is one behavior? What is one habit? What is one goal that you could add to your life? that you could obey every day that would help you be more like Jesus, that would help you get on the road to holiness. Maybe it's saying, I know I'm busy, I've got a lot happening, I'm going to read one chapter of God's Word every day. I'm going to start my day, I'm going to end my day being in the Word, no matter what. If I go to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to read a chapter before I go to bed. If I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to read a chapter before I start doing my day. Maybe it's becoming intentional with your prayer life. And I don't mean in the morning you get up and you say, Dear Father in heaven, and then you do your day, and then you get ready to to go to bed at night, and you say, In Jesus' name, amen, and the whole day was one big prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about maybe getting a notebook and and thinking of three things or four things or five things that you want to pray for. You pray for your attitude throughout the day. You pray for your coworker that doesn't know Jesus. You, You pray for someone in your church that's going through a hard time. And every day you pray and every day you journal. Today I was able to talk to Tom. Today I was able to to share with Sarah about the faith. Maybe it's finding a daily devotional. We gave out the Advent devotionals and they had some mixed reviews. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. But for some of you, all 25 days of December, you were in the habit of your daily devotional. Keep that going. We've got the daily bread that we give away. Keep it going every day. What is a habit that you could start, that you could obey every day, that helps you be more like Jesus? I love that hymn, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. Number four, the road to holiness, being different. Being different. Peter says, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. This is not, we all need to dress the same way. We all need to to speak the same kind of secret language. This isn't be odd for God territory here. This is be different. I love that Arby's commercial, um, even though I don't really like Arby's, but the Arby's commercial says different is good. And for Christ followers, different is good. When everyone is upset with the waitress that's an absolute disaster, 
How cool is it when you are the person that encourages her, or maybe prays for her, or maybe gives her like a 25% tip, even though she doesn't deserve it. Say, I know you're having a hard day. I want you to know I love you. And Jesus loves you as well. Different is good. And then number five, the road to holiness. This is the easiest thing to say. It's the hardest thing to do. It involves being like Jesus. Verse 15, just as he called you, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. That's the text. That's verses 13 through 16 of 1 Peter chapter 1. What I want to do now as we wrap up this morning is I want to just leave you with three challenges. And challenge number one is this. I challenge you, Christ follower, to not buy the values of our culture, hook, line, and sinker. Don't just accept it because that's what everyone says you should believe. Indoctrinated, seduced, persuaded, hoodwinked. You know, those are terms that have been thrown at many of us by people who are frustrated that their children are starting to grow in the faith, or their friend is starting to grow in the faith, or someone they know is starting to grow in the faith, and they say, you're being indoctrinated, you're being seduced, you're being persuaded, you're being hoodwinked. But the reality is, that's what's happening to so many followers of Jesus today when it comes to the values of our culture. I talked about the sanctity of human life Sunday. I talked about being pro-life. I talked about the baby bottle campaign. And I guarantee you, someone will write me a note. Maybe they won't now that I'm bringing it up. But typically when I bring it up, I get a note, I get an email, basically saying that it's just really not possible to embrace pro-life in 2014. It's just, that's out there. That's crazy. We have to be pro-choice. We see uh, all kinds of studies that say someone who is pro-life can never be elected, whether it's governor, senator, president, whatever it may be. And we're told, just, just let it go. Just move on. And I'm not telling you what to believe on this issue. I'm telling you to prepare your minds for action. I'm telling you to dive in and see, does God's word talk about life, the value of life? What's God's word have to say? And don't let the culture shape your values. Don't let a news organization shape your values. Don't let peer pressure shape your values. Don't just buy what everyone says you need to accept. Hook, line, and sinker. Prepare your minds for action. Challenge number two, allow God's word to radically change who you are. To radically change your life. Allow God's word to change you. Too many times Christians want to ask the question, you know, how far is too far? Or how much is too much? How far can I be in the world and still be good with God? How much can I get away with and God's at least kind of given me a, you know, you're okay up there, down there? That's the wrong question. The question you should be asking and I should be asking is, how can I look more like Jesus? What can I do in my life that will allow me to look more like Jesus. And I can't answer that for you. Gird up the loins of your mind. Think about your life, not somebody else's life, your life, your context, your situation. What can you do that will allow your life to look more like Jesus? And then finally, strive for a life of holiness. Strive to live a life of holiness. Again, 
It doesn't involve some sort of exterior change. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about who you are. How you live your life. I want to conclude today with just a question. And every great sermon teacher of homiletics would say, don't ever end your sermon with a question. I'm going to end my sermon with a question today. And here's the question. What is one change you could make in your life that would push you closer to a life of holiness? I pray that you will ponder that question now as we get ready to sing a song of invitation. But that all throughout this day and all throughout this week, you consider what's a change you could make in your life that will allow you to look more like Jesus. See, the first century Christians that Peter writes to here, what is so awesome about so many of them is they had so much to lose, but they had absolutely fallen in love with the faith. They'd fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Many of them were willing to lose their homes Many of them were willing to be forced to relocate. Many of them were willing to give their lives to look more like Jesus. And I am convinced if we as a church and if Christians in Clinton and DeWitt County, Christians in America today would say, I want to be more holy. Not holier than thou, more holy. I want to look more like Jesus. I want to be different. I don't want something else to control me. I want to be self-controlled. I want to be spirit-controlled. I want to own my faith. I want my faith to be real. I want my faith to ooze from me in in a good kind of way. I'm convinced that evangelism, I'm convinced that talking to people about Jesus, it doesn't get harder. It gets easier. Because people will notice a change. People will, will notice a difference. People will notice what salt of the earth looks like, what light of the world looks like. And they'll want to be like you. They'll want to be like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for this book that shakes me every time I read it, forces me to look in the mirror and do a self-assessment every time I study it. And it's my prayer this morning that we will be people that will rejoice in your incredible gift of salvation that we studied about last week. But we won't just accept the gift as is. We will have a desire to be different. We'll have a desire to be holy. We'll have a desire to look more and more like Jesus. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.